It's Cash Color Canvas, the high level of conversation live from New Orleans today. I am your host, Mecca King, and I am proud to have a fellow Bostonian in the building with me, man. It's, it's, it's always, I'm always amped up when I have somebody else from Boston with me who understands when I say I'm from Mattapan, they don't be looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but I have Nikkei Johnson with me today. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm great. Great. Did I pronounce your name right? Nikki spelled like Nike, but yeah. Really? It's Nikki spelled like Nike. Nikki, yep. Now, I'll tell you why I'm, I'm, I just mispronounced your name. When I was in Enrose, I was with a friend of mine. Her name was uh, spelled the same way, but she was Nikkei, and she would always get on people when they would call her Nike or Nikki. My ah. name is Nikkei. Yes. I think that's the correct pronunciation, like um, if it's like the Nigerian way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but my parents were like Nikki after the poet, Nikki Giovanni, a black poet. Oh, that's lit. Yeah. So that's where that came from. We got some background here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Nikki, tell us um, um, we know that you have, a, um, you, you have an amazing dispensary out in Charleston, um, but I want to learn how you got into cannabis in the first place. So, what was the first time that you experienced the plant? Back in high school, I remember I took my first like hit from this bomb, yeah. and I took maybe a little too much, and I was coughing. I was like, "Oh shit, oh. I never did it." <laughs> so your first time was a bong too. My first time was a bong. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. After that, then I, I liked it the second time. Um, after I came back from that, I had the spins the first time. But you know, when you're younger, you, you you're more resilient. Yeah. Like now, yes. people are older, and they're like, "Oh, oh I had a bad experience." Oh, what you talking so about? Like, Get up back on the bike. Bad experience. I'll stub my toe right now, man. I'll be down for like days. Like, like my, my life has 100% changed. What high school did you go to? So I went to Nobles in Dedham. Um, so yeah, that was actually a really big part of helping me get into this space. Yeah. And that's why it's really important to me that like I get connected with anybody else who's trying to get in because I have the network. I have, after that, I went to GW for two years okay. and then finished at Northeastern. So I've been really lucky and privileged and blessed to have all of that educational background, but yeah. it doesn't make it easy somehow. No, no, no. It definitely <laughs> doesn't make it easy in cannabis or it doesn't make it easy in the other world either, but it definitely doesn't make it easier in cannabis. Cannabis is one of the few places I feel like education is definitely dope, but you can do a lot of things without education and create yes. a real, a real serious um, um, income stream for yourself. Absolutely. But you have decided to use your education and your opportunities to create, <clears throat> to open up an amazing dispensary experience in yeah. Charleston. So before we get into that part, just tell us about what made you want to get into the business of cannabis and what made you say, I want to open a dispensary of all things. Yeah. So my mom brought it up to me. She's like, you should get into cannabis. And I said, why? <laughs> like, I really am not like a big smoker or anything. And at first I was confused, but she's like, the social justice aspect, you're going to like it. She knows yeah. I like to get back. She knows I like to help people. And when I saw the lack of diversity in terms of ownership, that's what made me realize I had to own something in this space yes. just to put like black people on that map and that like you don't build this industry and forget about us. Um, whether I use the product or not, like this was built and people who are incarcerated to this day are black people. Yes. Um, so that was what for me, like just getting that to be the first black woman owned shop in Boston. That was so important, especially for just other black people who I know have applied before me and haven't opened yet. I was like, we can do this and we can be competitive. Yeah, and you created an amazing space. You were explaining it to me yesterday, and I was like, I definitely need to um, at least visit this at one point. Um, explain to people. I mean, it's gonna be. It's not. It shouldn't be that hard. But we we're audio, so. But explain to people what this what the space is like and what makes it unique as far as based based on other dispensaries in the area. Yeah. So one thing that was super important, it has a speakeasy feel to it because this is our generation's prohibition. Yeah. Um, our logo is the lion, and I call it the Roaring Twenty Twenties. So we're in it. Um, when you come in, it's kind of a library feel and a lot of people think they're in the shop and we're like you're not even in yet yeah. and when you go through the next door you're in this really open inviting warm space it's not sterile it's bright it's colorful this should this plant doesn't make you think black and white you know yeah. so that's how we wanted that to reflect um and we want it to be a place where you can see the product ask questions talk to people yeah 
So that's what it's like inside. That's cool, man. I think it's great that you have your mother's support. My mother totally supports me, but she's still, like Troy Dasher said, I still have to explain to her sometimes what I'm doing so she's not overly nervous. So I think it's super dope that you have that kind of support. But I'm sure in certain neighborhoods, especially when you're trying to put a dispensary there, there's going to be some kind of blowback and there's going to be a lot of pushback. What was it like trying to set up in a city like in a, in a part of the city like Charleston? So that was really difficult. So this is the first shop black-owned shop to open in a majority white residential neighborhood. And it's really important. I'm a realtor. I've been in Boston real estate for 10 years. The history of why black people live in Dorchester and Mattapan versus Charlestown is like, it's because redlining. It's because yes. of all, like, they were one of the towns or the neighborhoods that um, boycotted busing. Like, this is, that's where I'm opening this. So yeah. it's not a place where they were like, oh, my God, come join us. We're so excited to have you. Or like, they're like, oh, like, we're your cousin. We're your aunt, your uncle. We're going to come out and support. So it's a completely different process and very political yeah has the neighborhood been more open as you have opened up that um you know to to what you're trying to do they've definitely warmed up to the idea okay. and i've been meeting a lot of the people who aren't opposers you'll find that at these community meetings the people coming out are extremists they're either super for it or super against it yeah. and there are plenty of people who really they don't they don't care it's not that they don't care but they don't care to come out and make a scene about it yeah. so you find that there, there are people out there who are for this and you just have to get out there and canvas and meet them and be a part. So what are some plans for expansion if you do have them? Is there plans of moving out into different parts of the city or even moving into different parts of Massachusetts? Yes. So the goal is to open up another shop in Boston, um, to open up a delivery license type as well. And if we can get into other states in New England, yeah. that's on our list. That's awesome. I know the delivery system in, in Massachusetts it has, has changed in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, so yeah. that's one thing. And one thing that people are advocating for is to have just one driver per car. Yeah, right shout out to my boy Devin. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah Devin's Devin. out there hustling, grinding. Devin's my guy, man. He's been on he's been on a podcast a couple of times my, him, himself. And yeah, I, I'm very familiar with that, that, the, that we're seeing new things. So I think one driver is needed. I felt like it was so it was so extra. Like, this is already a small company. Like, why are we going to make them have extra expenses by having a second driver? Exactly. And yeah. make the comparison is that... You have Amazon truck drivers who have more product, more in value on their truck than yeah. we'll have in these cars. Yeah. And that they're claiming it's about safety. It's about all these things, which is important. Yes, We're not trying to downplay that, but it makes the business that, um, impossible to make a profit. Yeah. And we want people to be successful. They've set this license type aside for social equity applicants only for three years. But until that we have big enough lobbyists, I feel like we're not going to get to see the like actual profits and fruits of this new license type. Yeah. Do you feel like social equity is a, is a program that's actually working in Massachusetts right now? I don't want to say that it's not so that they get rid of it, but I think there are things that need to change. Yes. I think there's educational things and um, access to funding that needs to be more accessible. It's yes. really hard to get funding and to have someone really hold your hand through the process, not because we aren't capable, but because it is nuanced and they list on the website in Boston, like seven to 10 steps to open a dispensary. It was a thousand steps for me to really open this. Yeah. And I want them to make sure that they help people out through the entire process. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so. Joe Biden made a big announcement a little while ago. Um, he wants to free thousands of, of, of marijuana prisoners who are locked up for very small charges, which I think is also, I mean, I ain't gonna get into it. <laughs> but he made that big announcement. I know it created a, 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 a ton of conversation in the cannabis space. Um, how did you feel about Joe Biden's announcement? And do you feel like it was enough? Not enough at all. Okay. <laughs> Happy he did it. I don't yes. want him to undo it, but I feel like it was a one-time thing. I think for anything that comes after that, I really hope that that was a kind of a permanent, yeah. no longer allowing it to be at the federal level. Um, but that would mean 
again, rescheduling, which he's like hinting at, but not actually taking action on, which we need to see. And then I think a lot of these politicians who are piggybacking on that to use that during an election year, yeah. um, I bring this up a lot. Election years are really scary years because cannabis gets thrown out. Like they want to make moves. Like and they it's won't. nothing. Like it's yeah. nothing. They throw it out almost like Oprah was giving away cars. Yes, like, yo, who wants what? to talk about weed? Yes. I want to today. And people who are originally were against it yeah and election years are 100 percent like this is like my passion i want to see these people free and there's so many people at the state level who need to be freed i shouldn't even be able to legally sell this until everybody who's in there is out um and we don't have i don't know we don't have for some reason enough even when we speak up our voices i feel like aren't being heard on that it's something that i think you hear every single person who's like in this space especially black people who have been affected by it talk about but how come we can't move that needle and i I think about it a lot. I just don't know how to fix it yet. Yeah, man. Yeah. What I feel like, I, I, and I want to hear more conversation about that is, what are we going to do for people who are selling? Like, they, I mean, I, I was selling a small quantity of weed to sustain a, a, a quality of life I like having. Yep. I don't feel like I should be in jail for that while, again, you have a dispensary. Yep. I'm in a city where dispensaries are popping up. I'm in a country where we're seeing, we're having more conversations about how to make money off this. Then why am I in jail for selling? Yep. And yeah. then how do we make it? And I think one of the arguments is they're like, well, this stuff is tested. Well, what if there's a way for people who want to be a part of the legacy market and stay a part of that market yeah. to still be able to test and provide that information to yeah. their customers too? They're, yeah. they're running real businesses, successful businesses. And it, I think you can compare that to a lot of the dispensaries that are in debt and not able to make money. The black market's not going anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's important to acknowledge and yeah. keep those people included. And I thought it was interesting that New York, with some of those delivery trucks that they had, that all of a sudden they like slammed them with these parking tickets after years. I'm like... When they want their money, they're going to make sure the government yeah. is going to come for it. Yeah. So. Speaking of the legacy market, um, I told you yesterday, and I even spoke about it on stage, and I, I, I said the wrong dispensary. It was Pure Oasis. I love Pure Oasis. Shout out to Pure Oasis. But I literally walked down the street and went and bought weed, and I, it was more because of how I'm used to buying weed. And I feel like we're generations away from a, a, a generation that's, that's more tone, prone to going to a store to buy weed versus me who's prone to going to a guy who has weed. Yeah. Um, um, speak, thinking again about the the legacy market, do you feel like the legacy market is going to end anytime soon? Do you feel like leg, legal will put that out of business or there's still going to be a lot of people like me? Or I'm just kind of used to going to a guy. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. We were just talking about this. Like um, people are good with what they're comfortable with. I yes. think the only way that's going to change is when people want a specific strain. Yeah. And their their guy might not know what they're carrying for this month or they might not have it this month. They might have indica and you were looking for sativa. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only time when people are like, oh, shoot, like it's not as consistent all the yeah. time. But the prices are good and the pr price is a driver in this yeah. economy that we're about to be in. Exactly. I don't see it changing, not until the economy is fixed, not yeah. until taxes are lower. Yeah. <laughs> people are spending like almost $5 on gas. I need you to either drop the weed price or I'm going to my guy. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> it can't be both. No. So, how do you feel like we can start incorporating legacy growers into this legal space? Um, at least, well, what's this, what is the starting point for you? Yeah, well, I think it's really important, especially if people have questions about how to apply. Like, mm -hmm. they reach out to me for that because it's not super straightforward, but I'm happy to help with that. And I think that's really important. But I think the states and the cities that want to help be more inclusive, and part of why we're not seeing diversity is those people don't want to like lose, pay the taxes, lose those, lose yeah. the business. Yeah. Um, so how do we make it so that it's beneficial for them? How It's not, right now it's not. Yeah. I think that's going to be the one thing that that as soon as something shifts with that, where maybe even in their first three years, they get some sort of tax break. Yeah. That's how you're going to move it. But until that I don't think they're coming out. Would you be Would you be open to selling your business? Like, if somebody came through with the right number, um, are you now out of the cannabis business? 
no way <laughs> so i think that's the one thing that's so important to me is like this one location specifically is so historic i think if i open a second one that's possible but there's something about keeping a black foothold in the city of boston yes yes that yes. is important to me um and i've been able to be really savvy so we currently have no debt and i don't think that I'm going to feel like forced into something. I think obviously there's numbers where people are like, that's stupid to turn it away. But I think as you're seeing with like Diddy, ownership means something. Yes. They, we don't own a lot, right? We don't even own 2% right now. So if I give that up, like we need to get, we need progress before I could be so comfortable. Yes. Yes. I totally get that. All right. So before we get out of here, Nikki, um, how can somebody find you on social media? How can they learn more about the dispensary? If they're in Boston or if they're in the area and they want to stop by, how can they stop by? Oh, also what's your favorite product at the store? I forgot to ask you that. Oh, okay. So I love lost farms gummies. Those are my favorite. I tried them in Cali. They're here in Massachusetts now. Um, I'm a big edibles person. And then I've also been really into Montel's vapes. Montel makes vape cartridges that have some CBD, and that's a really good thing for me. If you like CBD, check those out. He helps formulate those, which I think is really cool. Um, but, yeah, those are my top ones. Awesome. So how can people find you on social yeah. media and find the store? So you can follow us on Instagram at, at HeritageClubTHC, um, and our website is HeritageClubTHC.com. And I'm on there, and you can DM, and I'm one of the people who responds to those messages. So reach out, and you can also email us at info at HeritageClubTHC.com. Turn up. Thank you so much for pulling up on us, Nikki. And that is Cash Color Canvas, a high-level conversation live from New, not from New Orleans with my Bostonian friends here with me today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>